Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day to worship you. Thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us here. You have drawn us, Lord, for so many different reasons. But we pray that as we worship you today, you would give us unity of heart and mind, Lord, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord God, we pray that you would fill us up with your word and that it would flow forth from our mouth, Lord God, and that those words would be words of life and healing, words of redemption and joy. And Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Reveal yourself to us powerfully, Lord God. Break down our walls and defenses, Lord, and may we welcome you in, the conquering King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, I brought in an apple. And apples are a profoundly awesome fruit, right? They last for a long time. They're delicious. They throw well, right? I mean, there's almost nothing wrong with an apple. The only downside I can see to an apple is sometimes from the outside, it is difficult to tell what's going on on the inside, right? Do you ever notice that? I mean, you have an apple that looks just glorious like this one, and you might cut into it and find what? worm right and all nasty and yucky or like just brown on the inside like something's gone on in there you just can't tell from the outside you know and that's often how our world is don't you think right except for we find that very frequently when you do cut in from the outside in our world that it is rotten on the inside right those things which we had hoped for those things which we thought would complete us especially at christmas right We had all those gifts under the tree. Did any of those make us truly happy in our soul forever? No. No. Some. Some. Okay, we'll talk about that later, Millie. Um, But right, everything, right? It gets marketed to us. We think it's the next great thing that's going to complete us as a person. And so often it doesn't, right? That next, you know, that whatever, the pop gun loses its pop, the, the... Toy runs out of batteries, right? You know, it just happens. That's the way it works. Um, That's the way of this world, often. So here we are in this season of Christmas, our time in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the one who has come to save the least and the lost. And with the birth of Jesus, everything is going to be hunky-dory, right? No? Oh, man, what a downer. Right, what a downer, because we came all excited for Christmas, thinking this was going to be the solution, that everything from 2,000 years ago until now was going to be perfect. And the reality is, it's not perfect. Because like everything in Christianity, things are simple and complicated at the same time. Right, Jesus Christ's birth, his coming, is perfect. And he has made all things right, already and not yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Already he has conquered everything. Already he is, stand, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Already he is an authority and a power, but not yet, too, at the same time. Right? We still live in a world where we wrestle with the consequences of sin. We wrestle with that sin, not only external to us, but internal in us as well. Right? We still are in that place. And so here we see in our gospel passage for today that wrestling That wrestling of the new king, Jesus, the one who has all authority and power, fighting with the world, 
with a temporal king who thought that he could preserve his own power through violence and aggression. So, of course, in one corner we have, we'll make this the red corner, in the red corner we have, uh, standing in for all despotic leaders, Herod the Great. Right? And he is an incredible builder. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He expanded the Temple Mount. He built roads, built the mountain mountain fortress Masada. Uh, He also built a mountain. As though Masada wasn't enough, he built his own mountain. And then he uh, built a fortress inside that, which is called the Herodium. Right? If you're ever looking for something to do in your spare time, build a mountain. (laughs) Right? Because that's really what he did. We often make mountains out of molehills. He really did. Like physically make a mountain out of a molehill. He made, took this little hill and made it into a mountain with this fortress inside. Uh, in addition to these amazing public work projects, uh, he wanted to round out his CV or his resume. And so he also wanted to do, um, he had a vicious leader section to it. You know, because you don't, you don't want it to be flat and just do like great public works things. So uh, he actually uh, killed his own son. Right, because no vicious leader would be one without truly going to the apex and doing something like that. He also uh, jailed his wife while he was on vacation. Right, Herod had to travel, and his wife was from kind of a royal family, and he worried about her when he was gone, taking over power from him, and so he actually jailed her in Masada. So it was a useful public works project. Right? But somewhat self-serving because he jailed his, his wife and mother-in-law while he went out of town. And then when he came back, he let him out. I'm sure that was an interesting conversation when he came home. <laughs> hey, honey, good to see you. Right? How was prison? No, um, so that's Herod. And so he was so, uh, so dangerous that his friend, the Emperor Augustus, they went to school together, um, said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Right, what do you think that means? Well, pigs weren't loved animals, but why, why would a pig be safe with Herod? He wouldn't eat it, right? Because he was Jewish. Uh, and so he would not kill the pig, but his own son. Yeah, because he would be against the commandments to kill a pig, right? But the son, I don't, there's some gray area there, I guess. Right? So that's how Herod saw it, at least. Because the pig wasn't going to try and take his throne, but his son might. So you might have get rid of you got to get rid of him. So Herod represents the oppositional force, the oppositional force to this movement of God to redeem the world. He is the one with the desire to hold on to and expand his own power at all costs. On the other side, we have Jesus in the blue corner, right? In our Christmas account, Jesus is born, and sometime thereafter, wise men from the east come to visit in what we call the Feast of the Epiphany. That's right. One of the funnest words to say and most difficult to spell. Um, the Feast of the Epiphany, where the Savior was, re- was revealed to the Gentiles, or to the nations. Well, on their way, the wise men got a little turned around, right? And they stopped to ask for directions at the temple from a king named Herod. Herod's like, huh, you say this guy, this king of the Jews has been born. Hmm. Um, I'll get my advisors and we'll see if we can tell you where he is. Well, since they had to ask for directions and those directions or that asking for directions incited such unique interest from Herod, 
It's led for all men from that point forward to never want to stop for directions. Because you never know, right? You never know what might happen. It's really, it's got a biblical basis there, if you're ever curious. Um, You know? Right? There it is. There it is. Can't argue with that. So, Herod's advisors, though, actually do give the Magi good directions, and they point them in the right direction. They point them in the direction to where Jesus is in Bethlehem. But Herod, he wants to know where this child is so that he, too, can go and worship him, go and pay him homage. And what kind of worship do you think Herod wants to do? Yeah. He wants to acknowledge him as the one who has been born the king of the Jews and then kill him before he takes that throne, right? That's Herod's M.O. That's how he works. The wise men, though, the wise men are warned, though, by a dream by the Lord in a dream, not to go back to Herod. And so instead, they hightail it by an alternate route home so that they don't have to go back by Jerusalem. Joseph, as well, is warned in a dream to get out of Dodge because Herod is coming. And he does just that. He takes his family to Egypt, which in a manner is a reverse of the Exodus. Right? Remember the punishment that Pharaoh had upon the Jewish people was that their boys were to be killed, right? They were to be drowned in the Nile, right? And so this is somewhat an opposite of that movement because we have someone going from the promised land back to Egypt because for fear of their son's death, right? And so they find shelter there in Egypt. Herod, remember he's all about consolidating and preserving power, And this child to be born is the king of the Jews. So to Herod, this sounds like competition, right? He realizes that he's been duped by the wise men. And do you think he's happy about that? He doesn't like being tricked either. In addition, I would probably not play like poker against Herod, right? If you were thinking about it, he would not be a good competitor because he loves to win. And so when he hears that the wise men have fooled him, what does he do? He gets mad. And what does he do when he gets mad? Kills children. He kills children. Right? His plan is that he orders that all male children two years old and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding region must be killed. The orators are carried out and the children are murdered. Now, we don't truly know the death toll from this action. Um, estimates vary. In the medieval ages, some people argued that it was as high as 144,000 boys. Um, but this was a, a largely a figurative number that they used to fit with like um, apocalyptic literature, where 144,000 is an important number. Um, or, but then you had like early modern skeptics who would say the number is six. Right? You know, so it's quite a large scope we're dealing with here. Um, in reality, God doesn't give us the number. He doesn't want us to know or doesn't have a desire that we know a simple way of what that number is. And we probably never will know for sure how many, how many of these boys died under Herod's attack. But in a sense, since it's unknowable, um, the number is not the important factor. Because any death is a tragedy when it's done by this despotic leader. right? To preserve his power, any death would be a horrible tragedy. But the church looks at this tragedy, at these deaths, in an interesting way. Because these boys are considered the first martyrs. Now, what is a martyr? 
Someone who gives their life for a cause, right? In Christianity, what is a martyr? Someone who gives their life for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Now, how much did these kids know about Jesus? Yeah, we don't have any record that they had any knowledge of him. Um, And yet, and so they couldn't, and they're younger than two, so there wasn't a whole lot of will involved in this action. So they're not like martyrs in the sense of someone who knowingly chooses Jesus Christ and then knowingly goes to their death for their faith. But they are martyrs in that they were killed because of Jesus Christ. They died because a ruler wanted to try to kill Jesus. And so he thought the way he would do it was just by exterminating all the boys of his cohort. They were martyred because they gave their lives for Jesus Christ. And while they might not have chosen to do that, their life was taken from them because someone wanted to wipe out Jesus. They were not aware of what they were offering, but they died for Jesus Christ. They died because a cruel world wanted to hold on to its power and control. They died because violent men used their power to destroy opposition. They died because authority sought to stamp out hope. They died because evil wanted to conquer good. But hope was still alive. Because Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, survived and eventually returned to Israel and settled in Nazareth. And over the life of Jesus, we saw this same pattern of power fighting against grace happen over and over again. We saw it between Jesus and the religious leaders who were constantly, they were constantly against him, trying to take him down for different, in different ways. And most significantly, or most clearly, we saw it at the trial and death of Jesus when the might of the Roman Empire sought to destroy this one life and the hope that he had spawned. But even death even the death of Jesus Christ, could not conquer this hope. For on the third day, Jesus rose again, hope incarnate, and will never die again. This hope can be ours despite the cruel world that we live in. In Jesus Christ, we see that life conquers death. Hope does have the final word. And while these children were sacrificed by a cruel leader, Jesus Christ offers life that cannot be taken away. These children as well mark the pattern for us because their lives were laid down for Christ. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to offer our lives for Jesus Christ as well, no matter what it might cost us? Are we willing to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross to give them over to our Savior Jesus Christ, to trust him with everything we have and everything we own and everything we are. Are we willing to do that? Because the problem in our lives is that we often like to think that the world is like the apple and the world might be rotten on it or the world is probably rotten on the inside. But the problem is that I find in my life is it's easy for me to do that, to look out there and say, oh, yeah, that's bad. You know, ISIS, that's bad. The problem is I find the apples in me and the rottenness is in me as well. I need help. I need a savior. 
I need someone who is able to step into my life and offer me hope. Hope from the despotic leader, which is my own will. Hope from that that leader who wants to hold on to and consolidate power, which I find inside myself. I need a savior to be born in me, to conquer that leader, and to give me hope. If you find yourselves yearning for that freedom today too, may you turn to Jesus Christ. May we all turn to Jesus Christ, receive his mercy, his love, and his redemption as he puts to death that sin nature inside of us and clothes us in his righteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you don't leave us as rotten apples, Lord, that you don't just toss us aside. Lord, you have come to redeem what is lost. You have come to heal what is broken, and you have come to give life to what is dead. Lord God, we confess to you that we are Herod, Lord, that we are people who fight against your grace and your love and your hope. Lord God, forgive us. Forgive us by the blood of your Son poured out for us and wash us clean. Raise us to new life, Lord God, that we would not be that old person any longer, but would be a new person in Christ. Lord, thank you that you are the God of life, the God of hope, the God of reconciliation. And we pray, Lord God, that you would fill us with your hope today. And send us out into this world as your ambassadors, proclaiming your good news and offering hope to those who are lost. Give us your winsome words of grace. And may people come to faith in you through the words that we share with them. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.